in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we're going to be looking today at one of the one of the most famous prayers, one of the most magnificent prayers that we see today in Scripture. Again, that is Nehemiah chapter 1. Several weeks ago, I shared with you in one of the messages a statement from the great Baptist preacher, William Carey. And William Carey was credited with making that great statement, which was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Today we're going to study one of the great prayers of faith, and that is of the man, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was not a priest, he was not a prophet, but just an ordinary man who just had a burden. He had a burden to see the glory of God return unto his nation and return unto the city of God, which was Jerusalem. But rather than just expecting great things from God, Nehemiah took it further. He implies he applies himself to the solution. And he decides that he is going to attempt great things for God. He will ask the king, the king while he is in captivity in Persia, to allow him to go back to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And in Nehemiah's prayer, we see the heart of a person who desires that the glory of God be returned to God's people. Over the last several weeks, some of the messages we've preached, especially when we were in Exodus 33, dealt with the glory of God, right? We saw Moses even say to God, show me thy glory. Well, what we see here in Nehemiah is we see a people under captivity. We see the city of God that had been ransacked, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But Nehemiah's heart is burdened. It's burdened to return to the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls to the form of glory and restore Jerusalem. Nehemiah prays from an internal burden. It's a burden that consumes him. It's born out of him. And that burden broke his heart, a burden that caused him not only to pray but to act. And before he acts, he seeks the wisdom. He seeks the favor of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, you don't have to turn there. The Apostle Paul makes this statement to the church at Corinth. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And we know that all Scripture is inspired by God. That is, that it is God-breathed. And it is profitable for several things, including instruction in righteousness. Today we will look at the prayer of Nehemiah and uh, found in chapter 1. And we will see the following things regarding Nehemiah's heart. We're going to see the following. That Nehemiah, number one, had a burdened heart. And we're going to see this in verses 1 through 4. 
We also see that Nehemiah had a broken heart in verses 5 through 7. We're going to see that Nehemiah had a believing heart in verses 8 through 10. And we're going to see that Nehemiah had a beseeching heart, a begging heart for God. And we will see in Nehemiah the heart of a man who desires that God would be glorified yet again among his people. And likewise, let us also come to the place where we as believers in Christ have a similar attitude that we also would be burdened to see the glory of God manifest once again in the church. So I hope that by now you have found the book of Nehemiah. (laughs) And we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 1. Um, and we're going to pick up from verse 4 here. And we're going to see the first, the first thing we're going to see about Nehemiah is Nehemiah has a burdened heart. Look at verse 4. Now it came about, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. At this time, Nehemiah had not been in Israel, but he actually had been in Persia, and he had been in captivity. If you go back in church history, you'll find that in 586 B.C., during the time of Jeremiah the prophet, that the city of Jerusalem and and Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians. And they took captive the finest and the best, of Israel and marched them off to Babylon. Well, as world history and world powers have it, eventually the Babylonian Empire is replaced by the Persian Empire. Nehemiah, it is thought, was not one of those who was carried away into captivity. It is thought that Nehemiah himself was born in captivity. So he had heard the stories of Israel. He had heard the stories of Jerusalem. By the way, that capture in 586 was because of the sin of the nation of Israel. Jeremiah was a prophet at that time who went out preaching to Israel to repent, and rather than repent, Jeremiah was scorned, and he was thrown into a cistern, and they didn't want to hear it until such time that Jerusalem itself was ransacked. The temple was ransacked. The walls were torn down with fire. So being raised in captivity, Nehemiah, if you look in verses 2 and 3, inquires of his brethren, particularly his brothers, okay, what's the state? What does it look like? Look at verse 2. Then Hadani, one of the brothers... And some of the men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now when it, uh, now it came about, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. 
And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The city had been overrun. The gates, the glorious city of God, Jerusalem. Zion, the temple mount, the beautiful temple mount, had been overrun, had been ransacked. And now years living in captivity, probably having heard of the glory of Jerusalem, of the glory of Zion, these travelers come back and tell him, the people are in great distress. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned. It's desolate. It's not a good picture for God's city. And in response to that, Nehemiah doesn't simply go, oh, wow, that's too bad. Gee, I hope things get better. No, what happened to Nehemiah? Verse 4 tells us he wept and he mourned for days. What did he mourn for? Because the city of Jerusalem was associated with the glory of God. Zion was associated with the dwelling place of God. And now to see it all ransacked and destroyed. This person who had grown up in captivity has a deep and a longing burden to see the glory of God restored. Nehemiah, while he was in captivity in Persia, he had a pretty good job. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. He was responsible for tasting the king's food and tasting the king's drink in the event that somebody poisoned it. Right When Nehemiah dropped dead, the king would go, I don't, I don't think I want that for dinner anymore. But it was a good job, and it was a good job in that he had proximity to the king. He had become influential over the king. And he was probably living a lot better than his countrymen in the city of Jerusalem. He was well-liked, and he certainly was in a position, God had placed them in a position that he can have access to the king. But I want to call your attention to the burden that he has for the city of God. And by the way, he has a burden for the city of God. That's the same as having a burden for God. This is what I want you to see. The burden is for God. Right Upon the news of the city, he weeps and mourns for days. And church, we're living in a day and age where believers need to have a similar burden for the church of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we evaluate the church by the correctness of the doctrine. And I'm never going to minimize the importance of good, sound, correct doctrine. But that also has to be coupled by faith. By faith in the word, not merely apprehending the word, but faith in the word. And consequently, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if we hold to the teachings of Christ, right, it would be only normal that we would have a burden for the church of Jesus Christ. A burden to pray that the glory of Christ would return to the church, that believers in Christ, the elect of God, would shine as living examples of the redeemed of God. Listen, the Apostle Paul had this burden for the church. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, the Apostle Paul states this, apart from such external things, he says, 
There is a daily pressure upon me and concern for all the churches. I think more than ever, believers should be praying for the church. Not merely our church, but the church of the elect. It's very easy to see things that are wrong. It's very easy to say this denomination has fallen away from truth or, or this church no longer preaches that. That's the easiest thing. But when we see those things, does it grip our heart? Are we praying for God to restore truth and authority and power? You know, when we talk about the glory of the Lord returning to the church, when we talk about the glory of Christ being returned to the church, that's manifested by the power and the authority and the purity and the clarity of the word it preaches and the lives it impacts. Paul loved the church. Christ loves the church. Brothers and sisters, we are to love the church, the universal church of the elect of God, and have such a burden for the church, a burden that the glory of Christ and the authority of God would return to the church of Jesus Christ. You listen to the world today, and what do you hear? You hear disparaging marks about the church. You hear disparaging marks about the Christians. But we pray that God would restore authority, authority back into the church. And in this day of a great falling away, we pray that God would raise a few people burdened for the church, those that would make it their priority to pray for the church, to regain her authority, to boldly proclaim the word of God and see many, many come to Christ. You know, in... Um, I believe it's Judges chapter 6. You might know this story, the story of Gideon, right? And when the angel appears to Gideon, the angel says to Gideon, Hail, mighty warrior. It's kind of funny because Gideon wasn't a warrior. And I, I, I kind of think that Gideon probably said, Are you talking to me? Me? I'm the mighty warrior? And you know the rest of the story, right? He says, hey, you've been chosen. You're going to deliver your people Israel. And, and you know the story. Well, you know, 15,000, 20,000, no, you're going to use 300. But Gideon makes a statement in Judges chapter 6 to the angel. And it's very akin to the church today. He says to the angel, he said, we have heard the stories, all the great stories regarding our fathers. And basically saying, why don't we see that today? I don't know about you. I, I grew up in the church. I wasn't always a Christian, but I grew up in the church. And I can remember times when preachers would come into a church and they would preach a message, and the Spirit of God would move across that church. And you would see people weeping. And you would see people coming to the altar, crying and confessing sin. People being saved, uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, criminals, all coming to the place and being saved, and their lives forever changed. 
following in Christ. I'll tell you the truth, and I tell you this from my heart. I want nothing more than to see the Spirit of God do that today. I've heard the stories of the fathers. I've heard the stories of those that have gone before me. But now I pray that God would move in his church, that the Lord would come with authority and with power, that the Spirit of God would sweep across the church and we would see people crying before the Lord, repenting before the Lord, crying out to the Lord saying, God save me or I'll die. We see this characteristic in Nehemiah. And it's going to lead him to take action. So we see in Nehemiah first that he had a burdened heart. Let's look at the second thing we're going to see, that Nehemiah had a broken heart. Look at verse 6. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now. Day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, I and my father's house have sinned. In Nehemiah verses 5 through 7, Nehemiah continues in his prayer to God, and he's doing it specifically on behalf of Israel. And we see elements of his broken heart. But first, I want to point out something first and foremost, and that is while his heart is broken, I want you to notice this, while his heart is broken, it is not despairing. How do we know that? Because where is Nehemiah going? He's going to God. And he's going to God in prayer. And he knows that with God, all things are possible. It is possible for believers to bear a burden, a holy burden. And it is possible for believers to be broken over things in their lives and be broken over the church but it is equally possible that you can be broken, but you don't have to be despairing. Despairing implies no hope. That's what despairing, we despair because there's no hope. And if we are believers, if we are followers of Christ, we know that hope is always available to us. We see in Nehemiah, immediately he goes, look at verse 5, and I said, I beseech thee, By the way, beseech is to beg. It's to implore strongly. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants confessing the sins of thy sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned, and we have acted very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes 
nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Notice what you see in Nehemiah. Going to the Lord. Recalling of the Lord in verse 5. The Lord's loving kindness. But not merely citing the virtues. But confessing the sin of the people. And I want to point something out to you. Notice what he says here in verse 6. He says, open your ears, Lord, let thy ears be open. He says, hear the Hear me as I, as I pray night and day. There's a burden. As I pray night and day on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, notice what he says here, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which, notice, we have sinned against thee. I am my father's house have sinned against me. You see here in Nehemiah that he equates the sin of the people with himself. He's not saying, hey, I'm holy. I'm right. They're all messed up, and I'm going to pray for them, Lord, that you forgive them. He said, we have sinned against thee. We have rejected thy law. What law was he talking about? What, what law was he talking about? He's referring to the Mosaic covenant. If you look at you don't have to turn there now, but Deuteronomy chapter 25 to 28, the Lord gives Israel a covenant. He says, if you do the following, these blessings will follow you. But if you turn from these things, then these curses will follow you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. The words of Moses, but it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And that's literally what happened to the children of Israel. But here's something that's rather interesting. In Daniel chapter 9, we see Daniel, who, by the way, was taken away in captivity, right? We see Daniel uttering a very similar prayer to Nehemiah's prayer in remembrance of this covenant. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 5, Daniel says this, We have sinned and committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. But like Nehemiah, Daniel recognized that he can bring his brokenness to the Lord and the Lord can change it. He states in Daniel 9, verses 17 and 18, So now our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and his supplication for thy sake. O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thy ear and hear. Open thy eyes and see our desolations of the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on the account of any merits of our own, but on the account of thy great 
compassion. We talk about being burdened. We talk about being broken. Here we see that in both cases with Nehemiah and with Daniel. It is possible to be both. But we have an advocate in Christ our Lord. We have access to the throne room of God. Nothing is insurmountable for God. With God all things are possible. Burdens and brokenness do not have to drive us to depression, despair, or to discouragement. But rather what should they do? They should drive us to our knees. They should drive us to our knees in prayer. They should drive us to the word of God. They should drive us to the presence of God. This is what it did for Nehemiah. That's what it did for Daniel. Yes, we need to confess our sins. Yes, we need to pray for the church. And yes, we may see so many things that are wrong. But let us not stop where they are wrong. Let us beseech God. Let's have a burden that the Lord would restore authority, that the Lord would restore holiness, that the Lord would restore righteousness back again into the church of Jesus Christ. And that we, unlike the world, would... Hold to our hope in Jesus Christ. Listen to the word of God, Psalm 18.2. I love this. Quoted this many times. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Listen. God hears the prayers of the righteous. Again, in Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I called upon Yahweh. In my distress, I called upon him. And I cried to my God for help. And praise God, the verse doesn't end there. He heard my voice. He heard it out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. You know, there's many times I've come across those scriptures, many times that I have been desperate. I think I've shared this with you once or twice before. Have you ever been in the point in your spiritual life Maybe a particular crisis has come upon you or a particular trial or a testing that comes out of the blue when all you could cry is, help. God, help. I've been there. I'm sure many of you have been here. Psalm 18.6 says this, In my distress I called upon the name of Jehovah. And I, I shouted my cry for help. And he heard me. Psalm 34 says this, this poor man cried. The Lord heard and delivered him from all his fears. 
2 Corinthians 4, 18 gives us a deeper perspective of this. Because our trials we experience and sometimes our trials we see and our testings we experience and our testings we see and we look out upon the landscape of Christianity and we see shortcomings and shortcomings and shortcomings. But Paul tells the church at Corinth, hey, how do you handle this? And in 2 Corinthians 4.18 he says this, while we look not at the things which are seen, But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Church, we need men and women of God who have a burden for the church, that are broken over the church, but who through prayer and faith maintain hope in Christ. We need those who are convinced that through prayer, faith, and commitment to the Word of God, All things are possible. It's time to put away the unbelief that comes from the things which we can see. Rather, let's lay hold of the unseen things, those things which are eternal, those things of the Spirit, the things of faith, and by faith move forward as Nehemiah did. We live in a a weird time where we're bombarded with news. And is all that news, by the way, positive? No, Mostly negative, is it not? And it overwhelms us. It overwhelms us at times. It overwhelms us with fear. It overwhelms us with worry. It overwhelms us. It seems that seems to be the standard today. But as believers in Christ, we can hold. And we can have a confidence. Hey, the burden and the brokenness doesn't have to be negativity. The burden and the brokenness is positive if it drives us to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it did for Nehemiah. So we see he had a burden. We see he had a broken heart. The third thing we see here, he had a believing heart. Look at verse 9. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remotest parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Despite Nehemiah's burden and broken heart, Nehemiah remained faithful to God. He remained faithful. You got to imagine something. Nehemiah was in the palace of the king. These were pagans. Pagans, he worked in pagan company. He worked in places where there were pagan idols. But Nehemiah remained faithful to God. And he reminded God of his faithfulness. We see Nehemiah's believing heart for God despite trial, despite tribulation. And despite exile, he believed in God for his goodness, his faithfulness, and mercies. Dear brother, think about this. Dear brother or sister, how merciful is our God that even when we fall, even when we trip, there is mercy and forgiveness in the throne room of God that when we repent, God does not hold his anger. In Exodus 34, you may know, some of you may know this. In Exodus 34, 
verse 6 and 7. You know, we, were, we spent three weeks in Exodus 33, and it was an amazing, amazing blessing for me personally. We never went into 34. <laughs> we kind of ended with Moses saying, Show me thy glory, Lord. Show me thy glory. Well, this is what God did in response to Moses' request. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord made this proclamation about himself to Moses right before he was going to show him his glory. The Word of God reads, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Let's play that back in slow motion. The Lord, the Lord God, knows what he says. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. One of my favorite verses, I can't, just right now, I just can't get chapter and verse, but it's found in Micah. And it speaks of the Lord. He said that thou hast taken my sin and cast it into the depths of the sea. And I would add to that, to be remembered no more, because it's cast way down into the deepest part of the sea of God's forgetfulness. Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, puts it this way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways. An unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him. And to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. And the prophet speaks this to a wayward Israel. A wayward Israel. You know what that message is? There's hope. There's hope for restoration. There's hope to return to a right place with God. If you're a believer in Christ and maybe you've, you've fallen away, hey, there's hope. Return unto the Lord. Confess your sins to the Lord. What does John say in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's what? He's going to hold his anger. He's going to make sure he gets every drop of vengeance out of you. He's going to beat you down into the dust. No. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a theological part regarding the blood of Jesus. We refer to it as the efficacious blood of Christ. 
And what that simply means is the blood of Christ is constant. It's constantly cleansing. It always is cleansing. Even when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There isn't a ledger that Jesus holds and has check marks and demerit. Oh, he did something positive. Oh, he did something negative. If the Lord ever had that, that scorecard on the best of Christians, we would all fail. Our demerits would far outweigh our benefits but God in his mercy as Isaiah says he will have compassion on him for he will abundantly pardon oh that the Lord would search us and try us and bring to light all that is wrong in us so that we could approach the Lord in repentance and in approaching the Lord in repentance, we can have that burden, that brokenness, and that belief that if we pray, if we are before God on behalf of the church, if we're praying and seeking the Lord, that the Lord will hear, the Lord will answer. And the Lord will do. In this prayer of Nehemiah, while burdened, he is believing. Did you hear that? While burdened, he is believing. While confessing, he is confident of the goodness of God. Why? Because Nehemiah loved God. And God loved him. God loved him. Church, if we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we are zealous for the Lord and the desire to see his glory restored to the church, then we must believe God and we must believe his word. Not our feelings, not how we think it should be, but what God has declared as truth in his holy scripture. This is why we need to pray for personal revival and awakening, for the restoration of righteousness, authority, and power back into the church. Hey, if it's going to come back in the church, guess how it's going to come back in the church? It's going to come back in the church in the lives of those who tend the church, in the heart of believers, as believers pursue God, as believers desire God, as believers have personal revival in their life. My greatest prayer, and I've said that, is that Christ would re, uh, Christ's glory would fill the church yet again. I've read about Edwards. I've read about Wesley. I've read about Whitfield. I've read about the great men that have come before of, of Calvin and, and Luther and, and Zwingli and and all the others of Tyndale and all the others, I've read about them. I've read their exploits. And I pray with all earnestness, God, do this again today. We need men in the pulpit today that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that pro proclaim the word of God in complete authority. And when the word of God goes forth, people are changed. Well, my heart is that Christ's glory would fill the church again and the whole earth 
would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Belief in God, belief in Christ, belief in the Word of God. Listen, that is essential. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, by the word, that word faith and belief are the same words in the Greek. So without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We see here in Nehemiah, he is diligently seeking after God. So we saw that he was burdened, that he was broken. He has a believing heart. And the last element here is he has a beseeching heart. Look at verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and to make thy servant successful today, and to grant him compassion before this man. And he ends this by saying, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. So a logical question here is, where did Nehemiah's burden, broken, believing heart, lead him? And it led him to a beseeching begging, pleading heart before the throne of God. A heart that believes that with God all things are possible. Robert Murray McShane was a great Scottish preacher during the mid-1800s. He lived a phenomenal life. He is such a tremendous authority on the Word of God. He died, I believe, at 29 years old. Robert, McMurray, uh, Robert Murray McShane said this, Learn that urgency in prayer does not so much consist in vehement pleading as in vehement believing. He that believes most the love and the power of Jesus will obtain the most in prayer. Nehemiah knew he was not without recourse. And I want to ask you, I, I deliberately have been avoiding this because sometimes many of our messages are very self-oriented. I'm, I'm just saying this. So I've been trying to avoid to say, what is your trial? What is your... But you know, what is your trial? What is the burden that you have? What are the things that are standing in front of you that seem so insurmountable? Are you looking at the things that are seen? Are you burdened for it? Are you broken for it? Are you believing God for it? And now are you beseeching God? Are you pleading with God? Are you begging with God? There's truth. We can take that truth and we can apply it to our own personal lives. See, Nehemiah knew he wasn't without recourse. Nehemiah saw a need. But rather than looking to others to fulfill the need, Nehemiah sought God and he availed himself as part of the solution. Nehemiah was going to go to King Xerxes and ask 
his favor to lead the effort to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, just imagine this. Here's a Jew going to a Gentile king. By the way, he had a pretty critical role, right? And he's now going to ask him, send me back with your permission, send me back to Jerusalem so that I could help restore the city, the city of God. Burning for the glory of God to be restored. Nehemiah seeks the Lord to use him for God's glory. See, he didn't just do. He had the burden. He was broken. He was believing. But now he was pleading with God and he sought the Lord first. Nehemiah's response when we think about it is very similar to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. You might remember that when Isaiah walks into the temple and he has a vision of God, he sees the Lord. And Isaiah falls and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man undone. And from the throne comes a voice that says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah replies with that very famous quote, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Nehemiah responds likewise. He decides to go to the king and ask that he is sent in his authority to begin the work of restoration. Church, we can be burdened and broken. And we could be believing in God. But without beseeching God for his favor and putting our faith into action, our best desires could be just wishing instead of action. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, prayer in many ways is the supreme expression of our faith in God and our faith and confidence in the promises of God. There is nothing that a man ever does which so proclaims his faith as when he gets down on his knees and looks to God and talks to God. So where do we go? I started with the words of William Carey, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And to call all of us is to put our faith into action as Nehemiah did. To have a holy burden. To be broken over sin. Broken over the church. To be believing God for all things and beseeching God in all things. Listen, Nehemiah was one person. He was one person. One person. And he was not a priest or a prophet. He's just an ordinary individual, right? Who saw a need, sought the Lord, and said, how can I fill that need? There is no story of Nehemiah ever being a builder. There's no story of him being a project manager. There's no story of Nehemiah being a military or a political leader. Yet he will go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the city in 51 days with everyone around him threatening him. Listen, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah 6.16, you don't have to turn there, but it captures this. And it came about that when all of our enemies, notice this, all of our enemies heard of it, and all of the nations surrounding us saw it, 
They lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. How amazing would it be that if God would restore authority and the glory and the majesty of Christ to his church, that our enemies outside would lose their confidence and they would say that they're only able to do this because God is working on their behalf. I believe that can happen. I believe that that can happen. Nehemiah believed it and Nehemiah acted He acted by praying and praying in faith and putting his faith into action. And he was used of God to do a great, great, great work. So the question for us is, do we have this burden? Will we undertake this burden? Will we be broken but believing? See, it's one thing to be broken If you're just broken, you will despair. But it's a different thing to be broken and believing. It's one thing to have a burden, but it's one thing knowing that burdens are lifted at Calvary and that our Lord Jesus Christ said, hey, take my yoke for it's light and my burden is easy. And will will we be a people? that beseech God for his glory. That are pleading with God, Father, show us your glory. That are earnestly desiring the glory of God, even as Moses does. As I previously mentioned to you, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Will you be one of those ordinary people that God uses to do an amazing, amazing work? Let's pray.